Amen. Thank you, Micah. Our kids can head back to be with our team in Transformation Station. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's Word to the book of 2 Peter. We'll be in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 16 today. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provided, it's uh, page 1018, I believe I'm getting there. My copy's the same as those copies. As Pastor John Reddy said, if, if you need a Bible or would like a Bible, please take that as a gift from us. Yeah, I was right, 1018. Well, as you turn there, um, let me just say this is the last week in our Big City, Big Question series. Uh, next week, we'll be starting the Gospel of John. Uh, Pastor John Chastain, uh, who's on a bit of a vacation this weekend, he'll be kicking off that series. Right? He studied under a Johannine scholar, if you will, someone that knows a lot about the Gospel of John. Uh, so I said, John, you need to kick off this series for us. Uh, so build it out. And we work together on, on that uh, structure, but really excited about Believe and Live, exploring Jesus in the Gospel of John. We're going to be on a journey uh, through that Gospel uh, beginning next week. Well, I want to take you back in time a bit to, uh, let me see, it would have been 19, about 92, and um, I was beginning the seventh grade. I think I'm a math, maybe it was 91, whatever. Um, I was beginning the second grade. It was a big moment for me uh, because I was not just going to junior high school, and that's a big deal, right? When you move up from elementary school to middle school, for us it was a junior high. Uh, But it was also a big moment because I finally uh, was able to graduate into the youth group in my church. All right. So uh, my sister's a few years older than me. She had been participating in the youth group, middle school, high schoolers. Um, and, and I saw her and her friends enjoying all the different things that were going on. And so, you know, it was just something that I look forward to as a, as a young kid. Uh, and so I can remember uh, finally getting in the youth group, you know, and being a part of the activities, riding around with this guy named Shane Kritzer. He had an old Ford Escort, like the 80s virgin little box, you know, and we would drive around, listen to this Christian music that was kind of corny, but kind of like cool, you know. And, um, and they just remember those, those days uh, really ended up being very, very transformative uh, in my life that I still feel the reverberations to this day. And, and let me tell you just kind of what I believe I would point back to as, as maybe kind of the mark of that season in my life that still impacts me the most today. And that is or rather that was a Tuesday night Bible study, all right? So, so think about this, all right? Seventh grader in the same room with these sophomores and juniors and seniors, and we're eating food and, you know, hanging out. And then eventually um, this man named Alan Chamness uh, would say, okay, get out your Bibles. And, and what we did, I didn't even know what was going on at the point, but, but we actually just worked our way through books of the Bible, just like we're going to do next week at Redemption Hill, the Gospel of John, just like we've done, Ecclesiastes, Ephesians, Colossians. We, this, is, this is our approach. We do thematic series, but we also do expositional series. We just work our way through books because we want to understand the word, all of it, in context. That's for another sermon. But uh, this man, Alan Chamness, uh, here he is. I saw him uh, just uh, in August in Nashville, a conference. I was like, man, i got to get you on Instagram because I love you so much. Uh, so here the picture is. But Alan would always, when we started Bible study, he would always ask this, this same question every week. He would say, uh, who read your Bible 
every day this past week. Now, I can tell you that this wasn't like out of kind of this sense of guilt or like, you know, you've got to do this so that Jesus will really love you kind of mentality. It was just a question of we really value God's word. And so we want to value it in such a way that we are consistently in it day by day. Now, as, as a young kid, I can tell you that probably what moved me more than anything was kind of this competitive spirit, right? I was a basketball player. I loved to play basketball. So, so I knew if there was a way to win at something, I wanted to win. And so I knew that even if I popped my Bible up and got one verse, you know what I'm saying? I just, I had to get it every day so that my hand could go up every week. But guess what happened? As, as, as I attended Bible study week after week after week, God was doing something in my mind and something in my heart that I had no clue he was doing, and that was this. He began, at that moment, as a, as a 12-year-old kid, he began to cultivate a love for him and a love for his word that has continued in my life, however imperfectly along the way, to this day. And so I thank God. Alan Chamness is not the only uh, influential mentor in my life, but he is one of about five that I would point to and say, God used this man in my life to point me to Christ and, and, and God really used to change the trajectory of my life. And so I could tell you more stories of how my kind of, uh, you can almost call it a a love affair with with God and his word has kind of waxed and waned over the years and some really high points and some not so high points. But but, but here's the question. Um, Though I love the Bible, though I have experienced its power in my life, I would say, does that necessarily make it true? Does it necessarily mean that it is really the word of God? And I would say my experience alone does not necessitate that the Bible really is the word of God and that we should really care deeply about it. But there are some other reasons, in addition to my experience, that I would want to affirm this morning that the Bible truly is the authoritative word of God and it is sufficient for everything we need in life. So that's, if, if you've been around Redemption Hill very long, you, you're probably not too surprised that we would answer the question, is the Bible really the word of God and why should we care? You're probably not too surprised that I would just go ahead and kind of come out with, hey, we believe it is, and it is sufficient for everything in our lives. And what I want to do is I just want to let the Bible speak for itself. We're going to go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. But to understand what's happening, I want to just back up for a few moments to the context of what Peter is writing uh, to uh, these people who were scattered about uh, under persecution and duress. All right? so, so Peter opens up his letter. Check out verse 1. I love this. He's writing to a people that he says have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because let's just stop right here. Peter, the, the rock on which Jesus would build his church, the primary spokesman in the early church, when you know Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people believed and chose to follow Christ as they heard the words of Peter about Jesus and the other apostles, um, they, they came to believe. This Peter is writing to these people, these ordinary Christians that have been scattered about, and he's saying, you, in the sight of God, and me, are on 
equal standing. It's a radical claim. This is who he's writing to. And this is what I would say to you today. If you've placed your faith in Christ and have obtained this righteousness that Christ died to give you by faith in him, then you're you're on the same playing ground as, as me. You're on the same playing ground even as the apostle Peter. It's amazing truth for us to consider. And then he just writes this word of blessing. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's verse 2. Now look at verse 3. Here's context again. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his very uh, precious and great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Okay, so let me just break that down real quick. What Peter is saying is this. God has given you everything you need to live your life for him. He gives us the power that we need to honor him. He gives us the power that we need to go about our business for him, no matter if we're in the home or if we're on the job or if we're just hanging with friends in our neighborhood, watching the pass at 425 with some wings, you know, with our friends. Like he's given us everything we need in that moment to honor him. So this is one of the verses I point to. Like, like, salvation is not just like grace gets you in and then kind of you're on your own in your own strength. No, like grace gets us into the Christian life and grace keeps us moving forward in the Christian life. But that does not negate the fact that we have to strive to live like Christ day by day by day. Because look at verse 5. What does he say? For this very reason. What? Make every effort. Break a sweat. Make every effort to supplement, to add to your faith. I'm just going to read these quickly. Virtue, and on top of that, knowledge, and on top of that, self-control, and on top of that, steadfastness, and on top of that, godliness, and on top of that, brotherly affection, and on top of that, love. Look at verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, sign me up for that. I don't want to waste my life before God. I want to have a life that is spiritually productive, bearing fruit for God. And then what does Peter say? Look, look at verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities... Faith, virtue, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. I I want to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. So what what Peter is saying here is this. He's saying, I know you know these, these things, but let me be redundant for a moment because even though you have been taught these things before, you need to be reminded so that you'll be stirred up, so that you'll be motivated to be men and women of action and continue 
to live your life for Christ. So he says, look, I'm going to remind you of these things as much as I possibly can so that even after I am, church history would tell us, martyred, crucified, upside down, church history says, what happened to Peter, even after my death, you'll be able to recall these things at any time. That's how I want to know the word of God. I just want to be able to recall it so that no matter where I am, what circumstance it may be, I can know the word and live the word and honor God because I have been made for him. So it's in this spirit, Peter is writing to them to say, even though you are under duress, even though false teachers are creeping in and saying things like, Jesus isn't coming back, And it doesn't matter, therefore, how you live your life. Peter is saying, no, 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 you've heard the truth before. Let me remind you of the truth again. And that's where we pick up in verse 16 down through 21. Read, Read along with me as I read these for us. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we ask that as we open your word, Lord, that the very spirit that inspired it would open our eyes by shining his light into our hearts to help us to see the truth of these things. And God, may we not leave this place in the way that we entered it. God, may we be even more compelled, more stirred up to give our lives over to you day by day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Two, two encouragements from this, this passage, okay? This is super simple. Keep things simple around here, all right? Uh, Number one, the Bible really is the Word of God. The Bible really is the Word of God. I just want to work my way uh, through these verses with some commentary to help make sure we all understand what is going on here. In verse 16, Peter begins, and he says, look, we, we did not, like, unlike the false teachers, all right, who, who are charging us with coming up with things that aren't true, he's saying, look, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths um, when we made known to you the power of God. So, so see what he's doing here? He's, he's just told them the truth, 
And he's saying, I'm telling you the truth to stir you up about the truth. And now he's, he's reflecting on how he brought the truth to them and made Christ known to them so that they will continue in the truth. And so he says, look, when we came and proclaimed Christ to you, it wasn't out of these cleverly devised myths. This is what the false teachers were saying about Peter and the apostles. They were saying, look, they're, they're coming up with these stories that don't match reality. And Peter's saying, no, no, no. This is, this is what we know to be true. And, and he says he, he made it known. In other words, what he had received from Christ what he knew to be true of the Old Testament scriptures, which we'll talk about in just a moment. He's saying, we revealed the revelation that God had given us. And what was that? It was that Jesus is the Son of God, that he lived a perfectly righteous life in order that he might be the perfect substitutionary sacrifice on the cross for our sin that we might be brought to God. And then he rose again on the third day and and ascended to heaven. And he said, the way that you see me go up is the way you're going to see me coming back down. I am going to return to set all things right. The justice that we long for, that we looked at two weeks ago, he's going to make all that happen with a new heavens and a new earth. And these false teachers are saying, no, 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 it's, it's not the way it's going to turn out. But Peter is saying, look, Jesus came in humility the first time. He was born of a virgin. In in the form of a baby, God entered our world. I mean, can you imagine that, 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 that Mary and Joseph, they held God in their arms. This is an amazing thought, that Jesus would be fully man and fully God. And so Jesus comes in humility the first time, but the second time there will be him coming again and coming in glory. In the words of C.S. Lewis, he will come again as God without disguise. There will be no mistaking when Jesus returns because we will see the brilliance of his glory, the radiant brightness of who he is when he returns the second time. And Peter says, look, You can take my word for it because I saw it with my own eyes. He says, we, not only himself, but the other apostles, we were eyewitnesses of these things at the end of verse 16. I love what he says. He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then he goes down in verses 17 and 18, and he starts getting more specific about what this majesty was. Look at those again. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Okay, so what, what is Peter talking about here? If you go and read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record this moment known as the transfiguration. A moment when Jesus went up on a mountain and he took three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. And they go up with Christ on the mountain and Jesus has this divine meeting with God the Father. And Moses and Elijah. And and what's happening here is 
he was about to go to the cross. It was the, the time for his departure was, was near. And so, so God once again confirms, just like he said at his baptism, when John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He's confirming Jesus is the son of God. He is the new Moses, the, new and, the true and greater Moses who's going to lead my people on a new journey, a better exodus into the forever promised land. He is the true prophet Elijah who speaks the very words of God that we can listen to and follow him. And so in this moment, Matthew 17 uh, says that, that he was transfigured before him and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. What is going on here? You see, there was a divine preview in the transfiguration to Peter, James, and John of what was going to come in the very end. So, so, so it's, not, it's not like Peter just said, you know what, man, these false teachers are hating on us. Um, they're, they're bringing charges against our truth. And so I'm just going to talk about, uh, what can I talk about here? Oh, the transfiguration. No, no, no. Because like, Peter could have said, you know what, um, let, me, let me tell you about the crucifixion, right? What about, let me tell you about the resurrection. I mean, Peter saw the crucifixion. Peter saw the resurrection. Why is he talking about the transfiguration? He's talking about the transfiguration because it was a preview of the brilliant glory that will be revealed when Christ comes back again. That's good truth. And so when Christ returns, Revelation 21 would even say, there's not even going to be a need for the Son because the glory of God and the glory of Christ will be the light, all the light that we need. I think it's important here, and this is so helpful in this series where we're asking questions that a lot of people who maybe don't understand Christianity or have a lot of skepticisms about Christianity would, 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 would need to understand. You see, we have a faith that is rooted in history. We have a, we have a faith that is that's predicated on God becoming man in time and space. Jesus was born of a virgin. We have, we have a faith where we point back and look to the fact that Jesus died on a Roman cross outside of the gates of Jerusalem. We have a faith that, that is wrapped up in the physical reality of a tomb outside of the city of Jerusalem and whether or not it is empty. And Peter is, is bringing up another historic uh, reality, another, another uh, claim. These are all historic realities that our faith is built upon. And then what does he say in verse 19? He says this. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. You just missed what he just said, right? I mean, if, 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 you, if you're kind of eyes and your heart just didn't kind of skip a beat there, then, then you just miss what Peter just said, okay? So, so let, let me just rewind that, all right? Verse 19, uh, verse 19, and, and he just talked about the transfiguration, seeing the glory of God with his own eyes. And now he says, and we, speaking of the people to whom he is writing, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. 
So Peter is arguing that what we have in the scriptures, the prophetic word is the word graphe, which the 51 times it's used in the New Testament refer to the Old Testament scriptures. He's saying, we have this word that is more sure than what I saw with my own eyes. Really? We can be more sure of this? I mean, Peter would say to you today, you could have seen Christ raised from the dead, and it is no more sure than what we have in the Scriptures. They are that reliable, that true, that certain, that sure. So Peter then goes on to say, building his argument, he, he goes on to say in verse 20, continuing his sentence, actually let me back up to verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well, we're going to talk about this in just a few moments, to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so what what Peter is saying is this. The the Old Testament scriptures, the 39 books that we have that make up the the law, the first five books of the Bible, the the prophets, the writings, okay, all 39 books, they are, are given to us by God and they are divinely inspired. So, so the Holy Spirit invisibly and mysteriously and divinely moved, they were carried along, they, he moved these, these people who were just like me and you to pen words on a page that were coming from God himself. So the Bible, what, what, what Christians have believed through the, through the centuries about the Bible is that the Bible is a fully divine book because it is coming from God, but at the same time is a fully human book because God used people as his instruments to pen the very words that he wanted his people to hear and know and live and believe. So... so when we look at the scriptures, we can see that, that the Spirit used the individual personalities and the literary styles of these different men to reveal his truth. Paul puts it this way in 2 Timothy 3.14. This is a parallel passage to 2 Peter 1 when he says this, but, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. All Scripture. That means the the entirety of Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, so, so what just happened? Peter, 
is saying one thing, but it's the same thing that Paul is saying. That what we have in, in, in the graphe, the writings, the Old Testament scriptures, are the very words of God. They are able to make us wise for salvation. What does that mean? Wisdom is just the appropriate means to the appropriate end. So, so, so let me ask you this morning, have the scriptures made you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus? Have you seen the glory of Christ being the Son of God and, and our substitute on the cross that if we would look to him and believe in what he's done for us, that we can have eternal life and abundant life right now? That's That's salvation. And so if you haven't received salvation, if you're not confident that one day if Christ returns sooner than later, or one day when you die, which we all will, unless Christ returns before that that time, are you certain that you'll enter into eternity to be with God forever? There's no more important question than this. Have the scriptures made you wise for salvation? If not, then believe today, trust in Christ today. But then, but then number two, I would just ask you, are you supremely confident in the profitability of Scripture to give you all that you need for all the good works that God is placing before you? Did you, did you hear that in verse 17? It's, hey, God has given us the, the Scriptures, correction, teaching, reproof, so that we would be equipped, so we'd be ready to engage in every good work that God calls us to do, right? Because God doesn't save us and then like sit on the sidelines. God saves us and he says, get in the game and go serve and live and be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever God places you. And so perhaps some of you would say, well, Tanner, I, I, I'm getting there. I'm close to receiving Christ as Savior and the Lord of my life. And, and some of you might say, well, well, Tanner, in terms of the profitability of scriptures in my life, I, I want to say yes, but it's kind of like sometimes. And so can I just encourage us all here to like take the next step? That's, that's what life is about, right? That's what the Christian life is about. We just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And we, we change just a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit we look back and all of a sudden, man, I'm not the same person I was three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. That's what Jesus does when he changes us from the inside out and saves us and he makes us more like him day by day by day. So I want to just kind of take a sidebar here since we're asking this question, is the Bible really the Word of God and why should we care? I just want to give you a little kind of, you know, if you were to go to seminary or if you were just to take a class, which we'll probably offer at some point at Redemption Hill, just a, just a, a, little, a little bit of a teaching on the Scriptures, uh, the contents, the characteristics, and the case for Scripture. Okay, so we'll try to make this quick, all right? But this is good stuff, right? The contents of the scripture. This is a common question. How did we get the Bible that we have now, the 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament? How can we know that these particular books are really the word of God? Because I hear stuff on the news and CNN and the History Channel is saying like there are other books that should be in there that are not in there as people try to undermine the case for the scriptures as we have them. 
Well, to give you just a, a quick little lesson, uh, the early church, okay, the early church recognized the books that were inspired, okay? So, so if God, so this is a cool thing, let's back up. God is a, a speaking God. God is a God who makes himself known. If God didn't make himself known, we couldn't know him. But God reveals himself generally through creation and through our conscience. But we need special revelation. Him revealing himself specifically to us through the words of Scripture and through the divine eternal word, Jesus Christ, for us to know him in a way that we can truly honor him and and experience the salvation that he came to bring. And so these 66 books are known as the canon. The canon comes from a Greek word that means measuring rod, okay? So in other words, these are the books that the early church was recognizing, saying this is the standard for your faith, what you believe, and your practice, how you live your life. And there were three tests to kind of simplify uh, the criteria that they put on every single book to, to affirm that these are truly the words of God. Okay, the first is apostolicity. All right, and that's kind of a big word, I understand. Um, but, but apostolicity refers to these books being of an apostolic, or if you want to speak of the Old Testament, a truly prophetic origin. So, for example, we can just go back to the New Testament and we can see Matthew, was he an apostle? Did he spend time with Jesus? Check. Mark, was he an apostle? No, he wasn't an apostle. So how did he pass the test? Well, he hung out with this guy named Peter. (laughs) Peter told Mark these stories of Christ, his, his gospel, his good news of Jesus' life had apostolic origin. The same for Luke, who was a companion, a traveling companion of the apostle Paul. John? Oh yeah, he was on the mountain. He, he, he saw it all. He heard it all. Then we get into the letters. Paul, Jude, James. These writings had apostolic authority. These men had been with Jesus. They heard his teaching. They witnessed the miracles. They saw him raised from the dead. Number two, the second test was orthodoxy. In other words, and this isn't a, a term that we use a lot these days, but, but orthodoxy refers to, to the body of teaching that is sound and true. So in other words, did these writings accord with the rest of Revelation? I mean, did they, did they add up and, and, and make sense and pass the test when it came to um, consistency and unity um, with the teaching that is set forth in those writings? Number three, universality. Universality uh, means this. Were the books widely accepted by the people of God? You know, it wasn't just like, you know, the people in Philippi were reading Paul's letters, and, but, but no, the people of God, the churches that were spread out, and they received these books, they were receiving them as authoritative. So let me just give you an example. This is really, this is really helpful to know, all right? Um, seven church fathers, let me just name them, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, Origen, Tertullian, Hippolytus, and Eusebius, okay? These are all men from the early second century, think roughly 140 A.D., to the early 4th century, roughly 330 A.D., these seven men wrote a lot 
of theological works. They didn't write scripture, but they wrote about scripture to the church. There are, are you ready for this? There are 36,000, 36,000 citations from the 66 books that, that we have here, and they are citing them as authoritative. This is what Paul said. This is how you should live. This is what Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, so therefore you should live your life in this kind of way. I mean, that, that's, that's, a, that's a decent amount of evidence, I, I, I think. 36,000, 36, not bad. So, so apostolicity, orthodoxy, universality, these were the three tests. Again, the church wasn't picking and choosing, hey, I kind of like this one. Yeah, I know that guy. He wrote that. Let's put throw that one in there. No, they were, they were coming together recognizing the works that were, were true of godly origin and widely accepted. That's, that's the contents of Scripture. What about the characteristics of Scripture? Okay, let me just, let me just give you a f- five, I believe. Five, yeah. Scripture is supreme. All right? Being God's word, it has authority over our lives. All right? So, so I, don't, I don't come to the Bible and, and like say, man, I, I'm in charge here. I don't stand over the Bible when I read it. I stand under the Bible and I seek to understand what it says so that I can live my life in submission to it. Does that make sense? So, so some people, like these false prophets, who Peter will say in, in chapter 3, um, verse, uh, let me see here, uh, verse 16, that, that um, the ignorant and unstable twist the scriptures to their own destruction. Okay, so, so what we do, and you even hear this in churches that don't teach the, the true pure gospel, is we twist, we distort the scriptures to say what we want them to say. That's called eisegesis. In other words, we are reading into the text what we want it to say. So you have this all the time in churches that are on TV and around our city that would say, like, God wants you to be rich to the point where if, if you're not rich and you're not always healthy, then you don't have enough faith. That's called the health and wealth gospel, which is no gospel at all. I, mean, I just love to talk to people who buy into this garbage and say like, well, what about the Apostle Paul? He, he had that thorn in his side. He was suffering. Like You read his his resume, his spiritual resume in 2 Corinthians 11, he's talking about, man, I had rods on my back and I was shipwrecked and I'm in prison multiple times. I've been lashed uh, three different times, left for dead. Uh, oh, yeah, that, that, that health and wealth gospel. What, what, about, what about the cross? Jesus, Jesus died. So, so listen, this is good. We don't check our reason at the door when, when it comes to matters of faith. We, we bring our minds into the game. We don't even check our experience at the door. In fact, our experiences can, can help us understand what the Scripture says. That's why, that's why David, in, in Psalm 119, which you already read from, we're going to hear again, uh, he, he would say, look, when I was afflicted, 
then I understood more of what you had already told me. Oh, man, that one hit, that one hit the health and wealth again. Man, I didn't even plan that. All right? Like, Oh, man, sometimes you got to laugh at yourself. How God does this. All right, so, but reason, experience, they're, they're all important. We all bring them to the table, but ultimately they're, they're subservient to the word. Scripture is our sole authority. Everything else falls under that. I better speed up. Scripture is supreme. Scripture is clear. All right, in other words, the Bible is understandable. Okay, yes, there are pieces that we could spend a lifetime of lifetimes reading, studying, maybe never fully understanding. In fact, when I was going back and reading for this sermon and looking at commentaries, there are some, there's some you know, arguments like this phrase means this and this phrase means that. And like I'm, I'm standing before you proclaiming what I, what I believe it says, but I'm, I'm open to learning more. But at the same time, the kids in Transformation Station downstairs they can understand the basic message of the gospel because while the gospel is not simplistic, it is simple. God made you and loves you and wants you to live for him. You haven't done that very well, part two. And, and, and the consequences for that are, are dire, this separation from God physically and, and spiritually, but Jesus died for your sins. So that if you would receive what he offers you by faith, you can have this life that God wanted you to have in the very beginning before you went your own way. That's the gospel. And and my my six-year-old daughter, Parker, she can understand that. And I pray that she responds to it and that the scripture would make her wise for salvation. So the scriptures are supreme. The scriptures are clear. Number three, the scriptures are sufficient. We've already gone over this, so I'll just say this. Everything we need is right here. Everything we need to honor God and glorify him, it's right here in the words of the Bible. Number four, scripture is necessary. In other words, we we have to be exposed to the gospel in order to have this life that God wants us to have which is why we pray for the nations every single Sunday. This is why we came to Boston to plant a church, because roughly 3% of the population of greater Boston attends a gospel-centered church like the one that we have started here in Medford. The scriptures are necessary. People must hear them to experience life in Christ. And then finally, the scripture is trustworthy and true. Because scripture comes from the God of truth, It is a word of truth, and it is reliable. We can trust in it. We can stake our lives upon what it says. So we've talked about the contents of Scripture. We've talked about the characteristics of Scripture. Now let me just uh, briefly talk about the case for Scripture, okay? Uh, Number one, we we have, like, so so this is just trying to answer people who would say, yeah, 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 I get that. That's what it says about itself, but I still don't believe it. So let me just throw out a few other considerations. All right, maybe this is helpful for you today if, you're, if you doubt the veracity of God's word. I, I understand that you may be in that boat today. Well, number one, we have external evidence. I wish I had time to, to give you examples, but, but the Bible, in terms of manuscript evidence, far surpasses, I mean, it's not even a contest, far surpasses any other book of antiquity. All right, so we have manuscripts from, from, from the 2nd, 3rd, 4th century, hundreds and thousands of manuscripts that all match up. They all line up. 
And the ones where they're, they're, okay, yeah, sure, there were scribal errors and little, you know, this should have been an alpha, but it's an Omicron. And like, you know, so like that happens. But none of the textual variants, if you want to get technical, would, would even uh, change one major point of doctrine. So, so by the way, when we're saying the word is perfect, the word is true, and we're saying the Bible is inspired by God, therefore it is inerrant. We believe that there are no errors in the Bible. What we are saying is they are they're error-free in the original manuscripts. Like, well, Tanner, you don't have those. Yeah, but, but, but what we have is so accurate and close and reliable um, that we can have complete confidence in what we have in these translations from the Greek and Hebrew. I hope that all makes sense. All right, so the external evidence, there, there's so much uh, evidence, not to mention the Dead Sea Scrolls, founded just 60, 70 years ago, confirm the Hebrew scriptures that were written millennia before. So we have to consider these facts. Facts. All right, number two, internal evidence. All right, there is a beautiful unity to the Bible. Someone may say, well, look, like the Quran was just given all at once. I'm more inclined to believe it because you just have it all given by an angel to the prophet Muhammad, and he records it, and then there you go. Well, I would say that what is more difficult is to inspire 40 different authors over hundreds and thousands of years to all say the same thing in 66 books. Not only that, the dating and the content. All, all of the Gospels were penned within a generation of Jesus' death. And the, and the content there, um, you will have statements like in, in the Gospel of Mark, where Mark describes the man who helped carry a Jesus' cross up the hill of Golgotha, and he says, uh, this guy was the father of Alexander and Rufus. M- Mark, why are you, why, who cares? People that want to verify it, that's who cares. So if Mark wrote his gospel, as most conservative scholars believe, in the, in the 50s, piece of cake. Just go to, go to Jerusalem and, and find, if that's where he lived, I don't know where he lived, but you know what I'm saying? You get it. All right, so, um, so the, the internal evidence is, is heavy in favor of the veracity of the scriptures. Then you have the testimony and transformation of the church. From the early church, people dying for their faith and the, and the belief that Jesus really rose from the dead. That he, like, do you, die, do you die for that if you don't really believe it to be true? And these people were changed. I mean, just, you can come to our church and just keep coming to our church. And you're going to see people who weren't such good people that after they meet Jesus, they become pretty good people. Not perfect people, but, but so God is transforming his church one person at a time. And then, and then the testimony of Jesus. So we heard from Peter, we heard from Paul. What does Jesus say about the scriptures, okay? What about Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount? Do not think that I have come to abolish, do away with the law and prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, the smallest little marks in the, in the, in the Greek and uh, Hebrew uh, uh, writings uh, will ever pass from the law until all is accomplished. John 10, 35, the scripture cannot be broken. John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus believed that the Bible was authoritative, supreme, clear, 
trustworthy, reliable, sufficient. You say, well, Tanner, you know, this is all right. But as, like, but my, 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 my classmate, my, my neighbor, they're still not buying it. And so, so you, can, you can bring up these valid points and these evidences. But I would, I would say this, just as a final encouragement. Like if someone's still not, not buying, I, w- I would just say this. And this is probably the place to start, not the place to end. Like, would you just read the Bible with me? Because it's what Spurgeon said when he said, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose, and the lion will defend itself. So I'm just confident in the word of God that when people open it up with humility and consider the consistency and the intellectual credibility of these these, uh, claims, and then they're willing to test these claims against the experience of life. I'm just saying one building block on top of the other, it adds up, man. Whoa, this must be the word of God. Just let the scripture speak for itself, all right? Number two, this, that, that was all point one, all right? And the sermon should be done by now. And um, no Lord's Supper today, only singing one song. All right, I got this. All right, so, all right, sorry. Uh, point number two, this will be quick. The, 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 word, the word is really the word of God, and the word leads to a glorious life. So, so, so what Peter is doing here, he's saying, look, we, we told you the truth, and we, and we want you to be stirred up by the truth so that you will lead a life of godliness and glorify God with your, with your life. So, so look back at verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Argument number one, the word really is the word of God. Now, now number two, to which you will do well to pay attention. Like, please, please hear that today. You will do really well to pay attention to this book, to stick your life on this book, to meditate on it day and night, to eat it like you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, like to take it in and see it spiritually nourish your soul so that you can have life in God the way that he wants you to have it. You would do well to pay attention to it because it's like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The reason that we pay attention to the scriptures is because God wants to use them to transform our lives. Anything less is like cutting off the lights closing our eyes and trying to get out of here in 75 seconds, somebody's going to get hurt. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just not going to work out very well. And yet, I'm saying this with grace and love because I'm, I'm there many days myself. We, we set aside the scripture, right? We, we neglect the scripture. Man, I'm so busy. And I'm so busy. I can show you my calendar after church where my iPhone is. I mean, we all have so much responsibility, but don't, don't you agree? Like, we make time for what we want to make time. If the Scripture is really life-giving, if the Scripture is really a, a light into our path, like, we, we know how to live because we have the Scripture. If the Scripture is what fires us up and it, it animates us and and enlightens us and helps our understanding and shows us how to understand the world around us, then isn't it worthy of our attention? 
Not just sometimes, but consistently. So let me just encourage you, like, maybe you just need to make appointments with God. You have that calendar we talked about, and it's, it's full of all this, this, this good stuff. I'm not going to say mess. It's good stuff. My job is not important, more important than Jesus. I mean, I, lo- I love being a, one of the pastors of Redemption Hill Church. I really do. I work very hard. I tend toward workaholism. I don't even know how to say that right now. Um, versus being lazy, you feel me, all right? Forgive me, I can't speak, but, you know, you feel me. And so, like, but all that I have to do, all that I get to do, it's not more important than Jesus. Like really cultivating that love for him. Really walking with him day by day. Letting him speak to me so that I can be filled up and, and full so I can live for him. And, 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 then, and then be an agent of change in the lives of others. Like well, if it's this important, then let's schedule it. Let's make an appointment with God. Let's receive the word with humility. Let's do it together. It's, it's not a crime. We've been talking about this, right? Life together, the church. That's what the church is. We, we do life together. We pray together, and we, we encourage one another, and, and we even read the scriptures together. It's, it's not a crime to meet with someone, and you're devotional for that day to not be in isolation, but to be together with a brother and or sisters in Christ. We have to make, like, one of our prayers as, as pastors, and we, we've said this since the very beginning of Redemption, we want to be a Bible-saturated church. Because we believe this is really the Word of God, we want to be a church that is saturated with the Scriptures. Is, is your life, is your life saturated? If not, I'm not encouraging you to go out here today and feel really guilty about that and feel like you, you know, you're, you're, you're some kind of you know, uh, spiritual you know, loser. All right? I'm just saying, like, let's take a step forward. Maybe a step forward for you is to read a paragraph and not a, not a page. Maybe a step forward for you is to read a, a book in one setting, which is probably going to take you for some of the books maybe 15 minutes versus a page. Wherever God has you, let's move forward so that, this is good, pay attention to the word as, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. For how long? Peter will say this, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Peter, what are you talking about? You're talking about what he's been talking about, the coming of Christ, the judgment that is to come. And when Jesus returns, his glory, for those who are in him, his glory will be like the bright morning star. This is what Revelation, uh, is how Revelation twenty two sixteen describes Jesus. His light will so fill us in our hearts that we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. All of this mess and all of the sin that we're entangled with, it will finally be stripped away. And we will be like Christ. This is miraculously good news. So if you want your life to change, receive the scriptures as the word of God. Not just one time, but every single day. So that, I was thinking about this. This is the last thing I will say. What what happens? What happens if people really receive the Bible as the word of God? What happens to our city? Our children cared for? Yes. Are marriages thriving? Yes. Are there people hungry in the streets? Absolutely not. 
No one has to call the DPW upset because there's trash on the street, because no one's trashing the streets anymore, because we're being like Jesus. I mean, just like we could go on and on and on. Let's be a people who receive the word as it is, really the word of God, and live our lives by it for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask that we would be drawn like a magnet to your word. And that the more time we spend in your word, the more time we would want to spend in your word, God, increase our desire. Lord, and as I just pray, because I know, I know that you have spoken, not because I've been speaking, because when, when someone speaks in accordance with what you've already spoken in your word, then you're speaking. And so, God, I'm just convinced that you're speaking today, and someone's going to open their Bible uh, this, this evening or in the morning. And, God, I pray that when they do that, you would increase their delight in your word and that they would then be transformed to live consistent with your word and that they would be moved to share your word with other people. God, we are helpless apart from you, but you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Your word is sufficient for us to be engaging in every good work. So God, help us to be a people like that. We pray in Jesus' name.